Welcome to Therapist Uncensored, a podcast where therapists freely speak their minds about real life matters. It is my pleasure to introduce you to our guest today. They've been so generous to come on and share with us. Lee Brookins, and it's spelled L-I, is a licensed social worker, a certified group psychotherapist, and a clinical hypnotherapist. They work out of Boulder, Colorado, and they created the Umbrella Collective, which is a group that specializes in psychotherapy for those with intersecting identities. So let me read a quote that Lee shares in their bio. I believe that each client I work with has an inner knowing that is seeking to be uncovered. I see my job as helping my clients excavate that knowledge so they can empower themselves to make meaningful changes in their lives. Now, who does that not apply to? So without further ado, let's get right to the show. I am so excited to introduce everybody to Lee Brookins. Welcome to the show, Lee. Thanks so much. I'm honored to be here. We have so much to talk about. I am thrilled that you were willing to come on. And one of the things I noticed that I just want to mention, it's sort of interesting, is something that I do hear quite a lot about when we begin to talk about gender and sort of identity and identity development is the anxiety of saying the wrong thing or getting it wrong or hurting feelings, you know, or being misunderstood yourself, like, hey, I'm a good person, I'm screwing this up, not because I mean to harm anybody. <laughs> so I want to invite you to live on air, if I say something that you think that would benefit the community or to enlighten me, I want to really invite you to just stop me and say, hey, you know, Sue, well, you might think of it this way. Is that something you're, that's an okay thing to ask or that you'd be comfortable with? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that it's, a two-way street and I both need to come and speak up when it doesn't feel good to me and I hope that you come to me with when things don't feel right on to you too you know and that we can kind of keep each other accountable in that process I think that's the best way to to approach it Oh, that's awesome. I love how you said that. Because I know that some of the anxiety is this notion of, again, getting it wrong or something like that. And this idea of it being a two way street is just really inviting and relaxing for everybody. <laughs> but also one of the things I want to mention is that that doesn't mean that we get to as cisgendered people, just sit back and not think about it. And then until we're talking to someone that is gender nonconformist, and you know, that is on this more of a spectrum of gender, that we can't sit back and just the, then start asking questions and like expect another community to bring us up to speed. Yeah, that's totally true. And this might be a bit of a tangent, but I get asked to do a lot of talks about transgender identity and clinical practice. And then a lot of people want me to do it gratis, but as a transgender person who identifies as non-binary, it takes from me, it charges me emotional toll to present myself. And so I just want to put it out there to the world that to be really mindful of what you're really asking, because it's not that I'm presenting on something that isn't extremely personal to me, too. It's like both ends, you know, and so that cost taxes me, if you will. And I love it because I think that that is really, really, really important. It's one of the most private, intimate, vulnerable, you know, it's just so highly personal. 
and no one else gets sort of examined about that. And people aren't free to just come up and ask very highly personal questions. So when you are willing, and not, and not everyone is, and that's part of what we want to emphasize, but I just want to acknowledge your generosity about coming on and sharing this with us and helping everybody kind of get on board and, and understand what the issues are and what we can do to continue to make the world a, a more recognizing place and a more welcoming space and a safer place for everybody. Absolutely. I'm super passionate about getting that message out there. Yeah. So in that vein, would you be willing to just share a little bit about how you came to understand yourself and be able to say who you are in such a really wonderful way that you just did a moment ago? Absolutely. Yeah. So in my hindsight is 2020. <laughs> I grew up in a family and in a society like a lot of us did where we lacked the resources to really recognize a non-binary gender identity that I have today. And so for my family and for me as a young kiddo around six years old, I knew that I needed to act like a girl. And my mom tells me, I don't remember this myself, but my mom tells me that I told her on a ski chairlift one day that I wanted to die when I was six years old. Mm. Oh, God, that's terrible. Yeah. And so she did what any concerned parent would do. She took me to therapy. Well, not what any concerned parent would do, but what some concerned parents do that have the ability to access therapy. So I went to therapy as a really young kid and I went multiple times a week and I never really, as a kid through my child eyes, I didn't really know what I was there to talk about. And I remember feeling so much angst about what was I going to talk to the therapist about today? And I remember driving, it was a 20 minute drive and I would sometimes get really anxious thinking like, what am I going to talk about today? And I really didn't know. Where was this, if you don't mind, like, just so we can kind of, when you say it's a 20-minute drive? Yeah, I, I grew up in Englewood, Colorado, and we drove down into Denver to, like, the Cherry Creek Therapist Central right. of Denver. <laughs> and I saw a very predominant psychiatrist there who worked with children. And mm -hmm. so I saw him in this gorgeous office that had a separate place where his client his adult clients would lay down and he would do analysis and then in there was a separate suite for kids where it was all play all games a basketball hoop a punching bag in the playroom and so I would go in there two or three times a week that's great did you play basketball <laughs> I did I I ah. was I would say like trademark was very avoidant of talking about anything of importance to myself. And I made lots of jokes and avoided talking quite a bit, but he had my number. And so fast forward, 25 years old, I'm trying to buy, you know, feminine clothing that kind of shows a little cleavage, but not too much. I'm trying to fit in, go to the clubs, be interested in the boys. And I'm digging through my parents' old files and I run into a file with my name on it that said my therapist's name. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to look in here. <laughs> so, of course, <laughs> how could you not? <laughs> I'm like, what the heck is in this? 
I would like some disclosure. <laughs> and so I get in there and I come across a letter that my doctor wrote to my parents at the conclusion of my treatment. And in it, he writes that when I came in to see him, I had gender identity disorder with depression, gender identity disorder in childhood with depression. And then in parentheses, he wrote, I basically wanted to be a boy. And mm. it was just shocking to me to, to start the letter and read that alone. I don't have any conscious thoughts about myself wanting to be a boy besides I thought of myself always as a tomboy. And then I read a little further down and it says kind of how the process of treatment went, building an alliance and all that good stuff. And then in his concluding paragraph, he writes that through the work of our of therapy with him, I now showed appropriate interest in boys. And there was for those that ouch, may hear ouch. something off, do you hear that? <laughs> oh, God, ouch. Yeah. Oh, terrible. Oh, I was so happy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Like, it's all better now that I show appropriate interest in boys. It's, oh. it's a conflation of my sexual identity and my gender identity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a a really important statement about where society, where professional therapeutic practice was at back in the 1980s mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. early 90s. It was the idea mm -hmm. that if somebody comes in, if a child comes in presenting as a different gender or wanting to be of another gender, we treat their future potential homosexuality. Right, right. It becomes about sexual orientation instead of gender identity. That's exactly right. And so I think that it was a shocking letter to read. And I didn't have, I would say, like the sadness and anger that, and rage that I have about it today. But at the time, I was more in shock and wrestled with it. And it wasn't but a year later that I came out as a lesbian I was 26 years old, and then within three years of that, I came out as transgender. And as little credit as I want to give this therapist, <laughs> little credit, I do believe that, that reading that letter and seeing that he saw that those pieces in me was extremely and continues to be extremely validating. And it makes me just think about like what he had that you didn't have was a way to organize what he was seeing. And even though he he did the wrong thing with it, I get what you're saying is like you were recognized. And that's what doesn't happen. Like there's an invisibility even to yourself, it sounds like. But to him, you weren't invisible. He saw you and he really saw you and he could organize what he was seeing. But that we can't organize ourselves without being seen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's like that concept is so powerful. And I, I see it all the time in my practice. Our clients can't organize themselves. And sometimes they get some organization by being seen in therapy. Absolutely. I'm just really already really touched by this whole notion of even though again, he 
you know, you know, he was just happy that you got your orientation right for the moment. <laughs> and I'm, I'm saying that in quotes, right? Like, obviously, at that point, so here comes in the gender pronouns. And at that point, she was interested in he and him. And then therefore, that's attributed to the therapy. And the issue is resolved. <laughs> your gender identity issue is resolved. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm taken care mm. of. Well, what a wonderful thing then to stumble upon just from the standpoint of the gender piece of having it named. It sounds like that was really freeing for you and helped you find yourself. Oh, yeah. And the timing of that was I had just started my own therapy for myself, paying by myself in Seattle, Washington with a therapist there. Mm, Wow. Those are some juicy sessions right there. (laughs) Right? I was like, what is this? (laughs) And and at the time, because like, obviously, the big carrot of that letter was the gender identity disorder. Like, what? Right. (laughs) And she and I explored it. And she goes, well, did you ever want to be a boy? Do you want to be a boy? And I was like, no. (laughs) not that I remember (laughs) which is so funny because I I think there was still this really slow I don't know if the right word is implicit but a a slow awakening within myself that took a lot of time right but even like even in the language of her asking do you want to be a boy And what you're saying is, no, never. So like a conscious thought of I want anything isn't part of this. It's not like a top down, I'm deciding this. It really is like this emerging nascent sense of yourself, right? Right. Because I do think that gets confused by a lot of people of like, well, I could just decide that I'm this or that as if that's what the process is. And that isn't at all typically the experience. I'm wondering, I guess. I'm, I mean that as a question mark. I think that's a really unique way of looking at it. I hadn't considered it that way, but I'm just in chorus saying yes, because I think it makes a lot of sense to me. And, you know, is even in terms of like inquiring with our clients about their gender, you know, that's, is almost a great way to go about it, right? To kind of understand more implicitly, except instead of explicitly, or like what it just is, rather than what you choose it to be. It makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. So how does that look in therapy? Tell me, well, I'm sorry, I'm not meaning to lead it. You were actually, your story was evolving, and I just got too excited and jumped in, but (laughs) I wasn't (laughs) sure (laughs) <laughs> where, the story where we are on that. Well, I mean, you know, like if, if there was more you wanted to say about your personal sort of self-discovery. Yeah, let me check in on that. I do think there is something really cool about the way that I discovered my gender identity, which is that I felt like I could not really get in touch with my gender until I started to study gender. And mm-hmm. it was through the process of selecting my master's thesis topic and isolating the subject of transgender identity and college sports in the NCAA that I really realized in selecting my definition of transgender, 
anyone who transgresses gender norms. I selected a really liberal, open-ended definition. And once I did that, I realized that I was. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I had already been experimenting with finding my chest. And that's just coming out of how I want to express myself. It wasn't really coming from any kind of conscious thought of, well, I am transgender, I am non-binary, and I want a flat chest because of that. It was more coming out of a place of, I don't want to see this lump here anymore where my chest is. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I want to flatten that Mm -hmm. as much as possible. And so Mm -hmm. sort of just that, that both those things were happening for me in grad school. And I put them together. It really helped to both have the education of it or the readings that I was doing that was narrowing my thesis topic down, but then also have my experiential process happening with, you know, other classmates that I would involve in having them help me bind my chest with an ace bandage, you know, and it was like playful Mm. and fun and I could really own it that way when I was playing. Mm. Yeah. So that would be how I came to know my gender as non-binary. And then I just sort of naturally fell into this field as a social worker and people self-selected to work with me because of my gender expression and could identify with that on some level or other colleagues knew about me and would refer people to me because of that. So that's probably the end of the introduction. (laughs) We haven't already (laughs) spoken long enough. (laughs) It's so full of I don't know. It's like it's like beginning to like join you in your experience of discovery. And with the absence of labels and names and a and a recognition of, oh, this is who you are, sort of being lost. But then as you begin to gain a narrative or words or language and being seen and, you know, it comes through play, but even seen in words, right? There's a word to describe something that is implicitly true. And those matching up. And again, it speaks to, Lee, your generosity at sharing your story and giving these words to people all over, right? That taking it out of the binary and creating a fluidity where that people are free to define themselves as they experience themselves instead of what words are out there for us. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It reminds me of an author Sarah Silverman, who she writes in psycho, modern psychoanalytic theory. And she wrote a really great article on a transgender client she was working with. It was something called like the colonized mind. Oh, interesting. It was so fascinating. And also for any cisgender therapist working with transgender clients, this is a great article for you to look at too, because she writes about her cisgender identity and process and countertransference throughout her analytic treatment with this client, which I think is awesome, you know, that she puts herself out there and owns some feelings she was having about resistance to her client transitioning. Oh, that is incredible. So, so wait, can we slow down? Like, so when you're saying cisgender, can you, can you say what you mean by that for folks that don't quite snap to what that means? 
Absolutely. Or, or just or just haven't been. Ex- I, I don't mean that don't snap because that means that you already know and you're pushing it out or something. But what I mean is really haven't been exposed to some of these terms. So cisgender means cisgender means people who identify as the same sex that they were assigned at birth. And it's in opposition okay. of transgender, somebody who identifies as another gender from the sex they were assigned at birth. And so you're saying sex assignment, is that the same thing or different than gender assignment? Well, a lot of people use sex and gender interchangeably. And I think when I think of my gender identity, I don't think of it as my sex identity or my sex expression, my sex expression in the biological way of it. I just think about it as as gender, this societally constructed term of gender that is much more of a lay term in our society, right? Right. XY chromosome, XX chromosome is sex identity and experience of oneself and, yeah, the social construction of sex is gender identity. Yeah, exactly. And then just again, just for folks who are catching up, and then sexual orientation, because you had mentioned that earlier, and that getting conflated has more to do with sexual attraction. It's not at all about self-identity as who I am, but more who I'm attracted to. Am I saying that right? Absolutely, yeah. You got that. (laughs) So cisgendered, or most of you that are listening, not all of you, but most of you, it's just that it's one of these things that we don't even think about because we don't have to because it all matches up. But that when you're born, like as Lee is saying, with your chromosomes, X, Y, X, X, your sex matching up with who you feel you are. So basically, it's a non-thought, you know, unless you're asked to or, or like invited to. And unfortunately, that's what you're saying is that this article that you're referring us to, which we're going to post in the show notes, really is someone who is open to exploring like, wow, what are the privileges? What are the ways that I benefit? Or just how is the world safer for me? Because I know I'm a woman, I might be a gay woman or a straight woman, or even a butch woman, a butch gay woman, but still a cisgendered person, right? Like that becomes really interesting. And and also let's cross one more thing, sex role. Because I was thinking about butch and femme and that being different than, I'm sorry, you tell me, this is what I think and you tell me if this is right. Like butch and femme is on the gender fluidity scale, but it's different than transgender. Is that right? Am I thinking about that correctly? I think of it a little differently. Oh, good, good, good. (laughs) (laughs) I I love learning. Go right ahead. Awesome. Yeah, I think of transgender as this big umbrella. Anyone who transgresses gender norms. So anybody whose gender identity differs from their sex assigned at birth. And then within that, there's non-binary. And that's also an umbrella within an umbrella. And so to me, let me back out for a second, because I don't want to freak anybody out that I'm saying that that butch lesbian is transgender. But I will say that that person must identify as transgender. So I'm not trying to slap any label on other people, but I think very liberally about what transgender is and that identity. Well, there's transgender people who 
like Butch would certainly for them fit under the transgender umbrella, or some might say trans and shorten it as a slang that just represents this huge (laughs) category. Anybody who transgresses gender norms, but some people are super particular about it. So like, I know a lot of butch lesbians who are like, uh, excuse me. No, I'm cisgender. And I'm like, absolutely. And that's how you identify. And then the people that need that label use that label. So what I like about this is that like it begins to show where it gets a little fuzzy, right? And where that language deteriorates and the importance of what one of the values I know that you hold because it's in your bio, actually, (laughs) being able to discover and recognize and name themselves so that, like you said, that there's no labels being put on anybody, but it's more of like this discovery process. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you would hear how someone identifies and then just and reflect that back for them. Is that right? Yeah. And I'd ask them, what does that mean to you? Oh, that's great. It opens a whole world. It does. <laughs> it's, it's so it, it's so liberating. <laughs> yeah. And it brings artistry in too, I think, because like society being, here's another term Well, I'm running into society And many people's idea about gender is very binary, which means either male or female. It opens up this whole world of in between that allows people to really paint a picture. And I, I think that's so important. Well, I love that. And it is true that like people are like, why are there so many letters in the GLBTQ PRL? You know what I mean? And this is part of why is because as we begin to narrow down and help people sort of self-identify and, you know, going back to sexual orientations, this is my personal view is that out of 10,000 people, there's probably 10,000 sexualities and it's highly personal and intimate and individualized. And who is anyone to put a label on it unless that that is comforting and you like for you having the name, it helped you emerge, but sometimes having a label will box you in like male, female. So I love the play of it. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not good. You know, (laughs) there are no hard and fast rules. We can like zig and zag all over. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And I mean, I'll point out too in this, in my navigating with non-binary clients, whether or not they're ready to have some kind of medical intervention. So some non-binary right. clients who may, like myself, want a top surgery, which is a double mastectomy, to have a masculinized chest. That is really a hard decision for a lot of non-binary people because it's hard to sometimes when you're in the in-between as a gender identity or expression and or expression, it's really hard to know what is me- medically necessary that. Let's take a quick moment out to thank our sponsor. Now, our listeners come from all types of professions and backgrounds all over the world, and we're so happy about that. And we are also really honored that many of our subscribers are mental health professionals like Sue and myself. And like us, many of you did not become clinicians because you were ecstatic about focusing on the business aspect of your practice. 
We want our attention to be on our clients and other really important endeavors. And that is where Theranest comes in. Now, Theranest is a practice management system for mental health professionals, and it can really help easily streamline your whole entire practice. It has a client portal for scheduling and great calendar organization. It has HIPAA-compliant notes and documentation, one-click claim submissions, credit card processing, and one of the really great parts also, it has a really amazing live customer service. So there's no reason not to check it out. You can try it for free. And as a listener, they are offering you 20% off for the first three months. And how you would get that is you would go to theranist.com backslash therapist uncensored. We're also will have a link on our website. So that is theranist.com backslash therapist uncensored. All right, let's get back to our show. I'm totally, totally following you. There are two things that came to my mind. One was you said um, ready to, which sounds like a process towards something. You know what I mean? So that's, is that necessarily your experience? It's like, the, oh, like you, you get on, that there's a process that goes towards sexual reassignment surgery. That was one train of thought I had. But then the other was going back to this notion of in between And it made me think about pronouns and that we should probably touch on pronouns and your own pronouns and how that works and how you came to find that. So either direction, it's open the air, however you want to go. Yeah, well, let's name the pronouns and work through that and then jump on medical transition process because I think both are really important. Pronouns are one of the best ways that society can recognize a transgender person by what pronouns they use. And I say that specifically what pronouns they use instead of what pronouns somebody prefers. Because it's not, it's not a preference, you know, it's, it's what my pronouns are. And for me, my pronouns are a non-binary pronoun, which is they, them, and theirs. Commonly misunderstood by cisgender people, by society. People have often told me things like, well, that's a plural pronoun. And the good news is it's not the case anymore that it's just simply a plural pronoun. We have grammatically always used they when we don't know the gender of somebody. Right. It's more neutral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somebody knocked on the door and they knocked really loud. They knocked really loud, right? Exactly. Yeah. And not but maybe three years ago, the Oxford Dictionary accepted they as a pronoun use for gender, non-binary, non-conforming people. So that was huge news that blew up three years ago. And I love in my trainings when people ask me about that gender neutral pronoun, they, them, theirs, I love sharing that information. It feels so like, it feels like I don't have to defend myself because the Oxford Dictionary does. (laughs) But also even the argument is that it's plural versus singular. And I think that that's what we're talking about, right? Is fluidity. And it's not either or, it's both and, right? Is it, is that how I understand it? The whole idea of it is, again, not boxing one in, but keeping it neutral, yeah, and those are those are my preferred. That's so funny. I just almost said my preferred pronouns. They are preferred, but they're also my pronouns. 
Yes, yes. And just to say more about that for our audience, it would be like, let's say there's a cisgender heterosexual person listening, right? So what that means is a woman who was born a woman and knows they're a woman and, you know, loves men. And so it would be like saying, oh, you prefer to be called a woman. No, it's not that I prefer to be called. It's just I am a woman. And I think that's the point you're making about taking out. Pre- it's not a top down. And by top down, and again, many of our audience is very familiar with neurobiology because we've been talking about it for a long time. But top down meaning it's a conscious thought that then goes into our body. It's not that. I think the point is that it just is. So a she that is a cisgendered she is just a she. There's, it's not a preference. And and what you're saying, Lee, is that it's not a preference. It's your experience of yourself is, is they, not she. That's correct. And that's awesome. I like, again, I just like putting words on it because it's, I don't know, it's like getting people off their high horse about, well, what, why is that? And how come you make us do that? And things like that. It's more of like, no, it's, it would be the same thing as someone always misunderstanding you. And I think that people might can sometimes better relate if you think of race or sexual orientation, you know, some things that might be more immediately familiar to more cisgendered people mm-hmm. that if you can find that feeling of not being seen or not being recognized, that I think that's what you're conveying is that it's not a top down preference. It's what makes you feel seen. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. And, and for me, what non-binary means to me, that question that would be great to ask any client who comes out as transgender to you as a therapist is what it means to me is I feel both female and male. I feel a little bit of all the genders. So they is perfect for me. Yes. And so I like you saying like, these are the way to approach it. So those questions like, what does it mean to you? How do you see yourself? How do you what else? Like, what are other ways to come to find someone? Help them talk about it. I, well, there's yeah. so many, so many ways. This is a whole new chapter because I do find that sometimes people come in the office and they don't have that language to describe themselves. So us asking questions that really open up and are open-ended are so important. So, well, what does that mean to you, that identity? Yeah. And what expression represents that identity to you? Are you there yet? Would you like things to change? If you wanted anything to change, what would the change be? Mm -hmm. Just exploring that with people. I love that. You do? Yeah. Absolutely. Because, you know, it just leaves so much room. So it's the opposite of what a lot of people, I think, misunderstand, which is that it's imposed. Like, that if someone feels a little tomboyish, that someone labels them as transgender, and then all of a sudden, they're on this transgender train. And you know what I mean? I think that's some of the fears in the in the wider culture. Oh, my gosh. I have a eight month old golden doodle sitting here with me. So <laughs> just to give you a visual. So go Join right ahead. I'm sorry. Join the conversation. <laughs> that's all right. So does that sound correct? Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. And I definitely organize myself when I'm working with trans clients. I organize myself with them around, are we doing therapeutic work 
toward you accessing medical services or are we doing therapeutic work in general? And if somebody has any kind of medical transition goal, they may need a letter from me as a gatekeeper as part of the World Professional Association for Transgender Health and their standards of care. So I think there's just sort of two different paths to take with someone who comes out as trans to me in session is I assess if they need something from me. And then if that's the case, we go into sort of an assessment pathway and get that completed with and out of the way versus if they're just coming out as trans and we're just talking or we're going to talk about all the other aspects. Right. Or or their anxiety or their depression or whatever is coming up. Yeah. Right. And certainly being trans touches every aspect of a person's life. So, yes, it intersects with depression. It intersects with anxiety. It intersects with family and interpersonal relationships and work relationships. And some people aren't really there to talk about their trans identity. And I really honor that. So I really let the client self-dictate the pace of talking about trans identity. And I don't bring it into the session. They bring it into the session. Right. So the, the notion of being trans isn't necessarily diagnostic or treatment goal. It makes me think of gender dysphoria versus transgender. Yeah, that's exactly right. So if there is an element of gender dysphoria that they are looking to resolve with and Lee, Lee, can you say what gender dysphoria is? Ah, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, gender dysphoria <laughs> is somebody's discomfort with their gender or sex assigned at birth. So it can come out, I think of it in three different ways. It can come out socially from society. I'm uncomfortable with you calling me female or a lady. It could come out with the body. That's a really big one. I'm uncomfortable with the size of my breasts. And actually, I don't want to call them breasts. I want to call them a chest. And -hmm. it can come out spiritually or within the mind. I don't like these thoughts that I'm having about wanting to be a boy when I'm a girl, damn it all. I'm a girl, you know, (laughs) this kind of imposed persecutor. I can't have Mm -hmm. these thoughts. So Mm -hmm. those are the three ways that I see and assess gender dysphoria in the clients that I work with. I really love like even identifying those three things that like gender dysphoria, in other words, it's the upsetness about it that becomes problematic. It's not the it. Yeah. Well, just the way that I can more immediately relate as a cisgender woman is you know, sort of gay identity. It's not people, the standard of care now for that is like, it's not the treatment of being gay or lesbian or all the different (laughs) wonderful words for it now, queer and what are they? I mean, there's a million, the kids these days, oh my gosh. Pansexual, (laughs) omnisexual. Oh, omnisexual, asexual. So there's so many ways to identify that, but it's when it doesn't match, when let's say I'm attracted to women, but for some reason, I want to really repress that. Lots of good reasons. I don't want to die in some circumstances or my faith excludes me from where I want to go. You know, I'm saying that like there's many, many reasons why there would be discord, but it's the discord that's the problem. It's not the primary identity. And so that's the way that I'm 
more implicitly understanding what you're saying. It's it's not the fluidity, the gender fluidity that's the problem. It's if I have a problem with my gender fluidity, that that is the problem. Right. That's exactly right. And isn't that what we're really treating as therapists in most clients is it's not the anxiety that's the problem. It's that I have a problem that I have anxiety. <laughs> I don't know that everyone would agree with you about that, but <laughs> they're like, I hate, I hate breaking into a sweat, you know, when I go social, when I, <laughs> no, 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 we're not cutting anything out. I love it. Actually, I think that's a healthier way to, I actually, honestly, I think it's a healthier way to look at it. It's like, yes, I break out to a sweat anytime somebody that I'm attracted to talks to me. Let's just say that, right? It's so it's anxiety. But what you're saying, and I love it, is like, it's not a problem that you break out into a sweat and that you have anxiety about that. What's a problem is that you have a problem with breaking out into a sweat and having a problem that. Yeah, and you just want it to go away. You want it to disappear. Right. Instead of, oh, this is who I am. Yeah, <laughs> instead of inviting it in. <laughs> so, Oh, it's such a great example, though. Honestly, seriously, like it's a great example of what we can learn from sort of gender politics and gender, the whole conversation about gender is this openness around like what's actually the problem. And, you know, I, again, I think about that related to sexual orientation. Like there's so much for heterosexual people in the world to learn from the way that, for example, two women come to find labor distribution or <laughs> like all the normal things that couples have to figure out or two men that are able to talk about the chest of the guy around the corner and, you know, not go to the ceiling about that, that like there's a lot to learn from folks that aren't on the script, that when you're freed of the script of whatever the societal script is, whether it be gender orientation or sex role expression, that freedom then brings this creativity and new ideas to the whole thing. So just what you just said right then is an example of it, which is it's not anxiety that should be treated. It's the problem that you have with having anxiety. And that is a new thought. And that you, we wouldn't be able to have that thought without this kind of openness of coming to discover something. So that's so cool. Yay. I like that. <laughs> Celebrate that. <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. So is there anything else? You had mentioned a reference. You mentioned two references so far that we're going to put in the show notes. One was an article and then one was, uh, can you say that again so that people can hear it? One was the article. I can't remember the second one. Well, two that I know that you have mentioned off air, uh, one was the one that you refer families to. Oh, yeah. Okay. So when I work with families, I always refer them to the genderspectrum.org, genderspectrum.org. They are a wonderful resource for children, teens, young adults even, and families. And they have resources within the family dynamic. They have resources for in school, and they even have chat rooms for families and for parents. It's just huge. And then the other resources, I think for therapists who work with the transgender population in any way, shape, or form, they really need to familiarize themselves with the WPATH standards of care. That's the WPATH I mentioned earlier. That's the one, is the World Professional yeah, that, Association. One for transgender health. Yeah. And so that's a huge, I mean, it's, I think it's about 80 to hundred pages. Now, the first one was written in 1979. So it's been around for a long time. 
and it has the most up-to-date standards of care. And they are meant to be read, not like a rule book, not like rules, but like flexible guidelines. So I use that flexibly with all of my clients who are seeking any kind of medical transition, which means hormones or surgeries. And I think anybody wanting to work with this population should consider becoming very familiar with that document. I love that we got that. I mean, that's that's one of our big points, right? That like, if you're a therapist listening and you have anybody on the gender spectrum to refer there, and I actually have it up on my computer, it's wpath.org. And there's all kinds of information there. And then the other one, I think you may have already said it, genderspectrum.org. Both of those are really fantastic resources that I also just really highly endorse and recommend and, and learned a lot from going to before this interview. So I think that is fantastic. So Lee, can you tell us, so there's two things that I was thinking. One is I have so many more questions that I know we're not going to be able to get to on this podcast. And I just want to bookmark them because maybe at some point we can come on again if you're open to it. Like an event, you know, you know, this, this is like an introductory thing, right? But I was thinking about children. I was thinking about adolescents, you know, children that already have an organized sense of themselves, adolescents that, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen until puberty. And then sometimes it doesn't happen until adulthood. And those are different experiences. I, you know, that is super interesting to me. But then also all the like, what's the difference between transgender, you know, treating a transgender person versus treating a cisgender person. And like, so if a cisgender therapist has has someone that has any, I like, I kind of like, you know, your umbrella, of transgender being any of the gender fluidity in a sense. But I also have had experiences as a therapist where I would, I didn't impose it, but basically I just floated it as a test balloon for someone who absolutely, absolutely is on the gender spectrum and refers to them, you know, like dude and, you know, like you absolutely is there. But when the question of gender came up, they like looked at me like I had three heads, like, what are you talking, you know, meaning like that isn't where they are. It's not where they want to go. Anytime I push on it, it's like, you know, like, let's not make something of this that it isn't. <laughs> right. And almost sort of making conscious something that it's not a struggle. So I don't want to impose that in that direction either. Right. Like, oh, I want to be an informed clinician and I'm seeing this in front of me. So I say it. And if it's not it's not even in their mind. It's not in their heart. It's not anything they want, you know? <laughs> so it's like, okay, let's put this one right back in my pocket. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. That's the same process for other, you know, you bring up some insight and they reject it and you say, Oh, okay. Well, you know, it's, it's very clear. It's like, that was me. That wasn't you. And what we're trying to figure out is what is you? What is you? Like, let me help you find what is you. And it's fine for us to miss in that way. But someone else might like catch that ball and be like, I've never thought about that or absolutely or in, or anything else that could come from it. So anyway, my, the idea of this is and what I really love about it. And again, it's like this community teaching a wider community. It's almost like a disenfranchised community. Let us all learn that things open up and that there's not something imposed and we get to identify our sexuality, we get to identify our gender, we get to figure out what we want and what we don't want and negotiate that in the world. And what an incredible gift, Lee, that you're bringing 
to everyone, regardless of their gender. Oh, thank you so much, Sue. <laughs> I mean it to my toes. I think it is the coolest, coolest way of taking scales off our eyes, right? Like a way of stopping us from limiting ourselves. And it might not be gender for someone listening, but it might be about something else. It might be about their art or it might be about their, I don't know what, it might be about their expression in some other way. I don't know. I don't want to define it for you, listeners. (laughs) You define it for yourself and come out of whoever you are and express yourself wildly in the world. How about that? (laughs) Yeah, it's like, it's just removing the dichotomies. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. All right. So what we want to do, Lee, can you tell uh, folks how to reach you if they are interested in connecting in some way or anything like that? Either you or someone that might be connected to you? Yeah. So my website for my group practice is called the Umbrella Collective. So you would go to umbrellacollective.org. And on there, we have a contact form. Yeah, that's the best way to reach me. It'll come right to me. That is awesome. And is there any other references off the top of your head that you want to add real quickly? No, I think, yeah, I mean, there's so many. So what's that's like the 101. Okay. There's the 101. That's the 101. Okay, great. And what we want you to do is we want you to go to the show notes because the show notes are going to have all of these links and maybe more. A lot of times I throw more stuff in there so that really the eager ones of you can keep going. And that's a really great place to start and the places that Lee sent you to. And that's a really good first dose. So I cannot thank you enough. I know that it's been such a fun conversation. And I know people's minds are probably whirling right now. And that's cool. That's what we want to happen is we want to stir it up. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you for being so disarming. I just wanted to let my heart open on up. So Good. Did that happen? Did that happen? Absolutely did. Yeah. (laughs) Great. Oh, that's awesome. Great. Okay, good. Well, that makes me happy. So for those of you listening, thank you so much. And basically, if you're still with us, that means you're one of the folks that go all the way through. It means you've found value in the podcast. And if that's the case, we really would like to invite you to go on to your podcast players and give us a rating and review and really help other people find this kind of information. And also be generous and share it freely. And also, if you don't like it, or if you don't like something that was said, or if you love it and you want us to keep going, anything like that, just contact us directly and let us know anything that you have to say about it. Because we read every single feedback and we take it all in and we're not necessarily able to respond to everybody personally, but we definitely, definitely hear you and want to know how we're doing. So, all right. Thank you so much, Lee. And thank you everybody for listening. And we will return with more. So we'll be back at you. We'll see you around the bend. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson.